Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Travis, and so excited to get to speak this morning, especially on a baptism Sunday. So some of you know that I get emotional, or I can get emotional, and now I'm not the only one who's cried today, okay? Yeah, you two have cried. Um, but it's, it's awesome to see people that have given their lives to Christ, right, that have had their sins forgiven and are wanting to go public with their faith. It's such a great encouragement, um, every, every single one of those testimonies. And so really, really excited to, to get to preach on Baptism Sunday. But uh, I'm also excited to preach because the past month has been challenging. And so, so much so to where our lead pastor, John, was considering changing the name of Redeemer Church to Submission Church. And so I thought, that's crazy. I should probably get up there and preach. All right. He's, he's had a lot to shoulder if he's thinking that, that should be the next step. Uh, just kidding. He uh, is not honest with that statement. I don't think. I think we're going to say Redeemer Church. But uh, I am grateful that John led us through those challenging passages, right? I learned more about this idea of submission and how we're meant to walk in it, right? Cooperating with someone else. I love and respect God, therefore I'm going to submit. And I love and respect you, and therefore I'm going to submit. There was a a study note in my Bible. Um, It said this. It said, submission is functional, relational, reciprocal, and universal. Functional distinguishing of our roles and the work we are called to do. Relational, loving acknowledgement of another's value as a person. Reciprocal, mutual, humble cooperation with one another. And universal, acknowledgement by the church of the all-encompassing lordship of Jesus Christ. And so when you see it like that, it, it makes it seem like, man, this should be pretty easy. But we know it's not. It's very challenging, especially when it comes to unbelievers, right? But this is a crucial idea if we are going to lead them to Christ. And and John reminded us and taught us that we're not going to submit in a way that might compromise our relationship with God, but we are going to submit in a way where we step forward in humility, honoring God and serving others. And in, in all honesty, submission jokes aside, I'm grateful to be at Redeemer. I'm grateful to be led by John, right? And I know I'm not the only one. I would not be pursuing the Lord in the same way in which I am were it not for his leadership. Uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful as we talk about the idea of submission to get to submit to John both functionally, relationally, and even reciprocally. I think I said it right. Uh, and I hope you guys are as well. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into our passage today. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. So if you have your Bible, you can open up there or you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to read our passage this morning. Verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Right now, Peter, as he's writing this, he understands the different aspects of this verse all too well. Right? He's been on both sides of the coin. He's disowned Jesus in fear of man, not having a good conscience, and ultimately suffering for evil. Peter also knows the blessing of persevering in the faith, suffering for righteousness' sake, 
and being found worthy. And so my hope and my prayer is that that could be said for us as well. Will you join me in, in prayer as we begin? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to open up your word and to learn from you. God, we ask that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, that my words would be your words, that you would show us what it looks like to persevere in the faith, what it looks like to have an opportunity to give a defense for the hope that we have in you. As persecution comes, we ask that you would strengthen us. We ask that you would give us stamina and you would give us the words to say as we point people back toward you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, last week, uh, John, he talked about this idea of not responding to evil with evil, right? If someone wrongs you or someone slanders you, that we are not meant to go back at them, but rather God is going to take care of it. And it's kind of brought up a, a funny conversation in our community group that we're not meant to go back at them when someone wrongs you because God can do way worse than we can do. So we just just leave it to God, right? And why that's humorous and, I mean, the Sure, true. I don't think that's the, the full understanding of, of what that passage means, right? It, it's more this idea that God, who is all-knowing, is going to make the proper judgment, right? It's not God is going to do worse to them than we could. Our, our job, simply put but not simply lived out, is we're meant to respond to those who do evil to us by blessing them. And that's way easier said than done. What was so cool is in the passage last week, John, uh, as he was going through, Peter actually quotes Psalm 34, where we find out as we do this, as we don't repay evil for evil, there's actually a blessing that is to come. Well, at the beginning of our passage today, there's a question that links last week's message and this week's message. Okay, so if we go back to verse 13, Peter says, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? And this question seems rhetorical, right? It doesn't need an answer. But if we were to answer it, the short answer is no one. Who's there to harm you for, if you're zealous for doing good? No one. Right? Who is actually going to harm us if we're doing good? Fortunately, in most cases, this seems to be accurate. Right? People typically like when you're kind. They typically like when you care. They typically like when you're truthful. Right? When you live your life in such a way to honor the Lord. But unfortunately, it does seem to be changing a little bit. Right? The acceptance of Christianity is not what it was before. Christian morals are not upheld, as in the past. Belief in the Bible is laughed at at times. Or if you were to say Jesus is the only way, you might be labeled as flat out wrong. Right? So, as you think about what this looks like in your life day to day, let me ask you this question again. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Second thought? A ton of people. <laughs> Too many people. Everybody, right? Maybe that's where your mind just went, right? A little bit of shift in perspective and things change. So what I want to do is I want to take that same idea of shifting perspective and use it as we get into our passage today, right? This passage is very challenging. Not challenging in understanding what it means, but challenging in how do we live this out? What is this meant to look like in my life? Right? And, and just because we see that there will potentially be people that will harm us for doing good, it doesn't negate the blessing that we learned about last week that has to do with Psalm 34. In fact, Peter reminds us of this in the next verse. Verse 14, Peter says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Right? There is blessing in store, even as we walk through persecution. 
maybe especially as we walk through persecution. So I've, I've titled this message, Suffering Has a Purpose. And some of you know that you saw it on the program and you're like, oh, great. What's he going to talk about? What's he getting into? And maybe right there at face value, maybe you are very interested because you're currently suffering. Or maybe you say, you know what, I'm good, so tell me what you want to tell me, Travis, and, and then we'll move on. Right? Well, if that's the case, that's wonderful. Don't forget this message when you go into suffering. Right? Chances are life is like a storm. Right? You're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're getting ready to head into a storm. And so just because you might not be experiencing suffering to the degree of someone else in your row doesn't mean that this won't apply to your life. And so uh, here, here we go. For, for me, actually, before we even get there, I can't read this without thinking of something that Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, right? In Matthew chapter 5, right at the beginning, the Beatitudes. Jesus talks about some of these things. And so what I want to do is I want to read from Matthew chapter 5. Okay, the Beatitudes are, are talking about these blessings, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful. These, these ideas. And in verse 10, Jesus says this. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Right? Get this, this last verse. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right, do you see the similarities of, of Christ's words and, and Peter's writing this morning? You see how it ended up? As you and I persevere through suffering, we're actually in a long line of others who have gone before us championing the faith. Other people who have suffered for their faith. Right? Think about this. Noah suffered. Abraham suffered. Joseph suffered. Daniel. David John the Baptist, the disciples, even Jesus suffered. Right? Our Lord and Savior knew what it was to suffer to a degree that you and I will never be able to fathom. Right? So when you feel alone because of persecution, right, you're in the throes of suffering, remember that you're not alone. Right? Take heart that others have gone before you and remember that there is a reward in heaven. Now again, you might be going through suffering now, and so you say, you know what, I can't even lift my eyes to heaven. That's wonderful. There's a reward in heaven one day, but what about today? What about right now? Is there anything I can learn from suffering right now? Is there a purpose in my suffering right now? And I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. I, I just I sense that you were going to ask that, okay? Suffering might be a way in which God is disciplining us. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Right, pause for a second and just think about your life. What are areas of your life that God has disciplined you in and you are better for it? Right? There are areas in every one of our lives as children of his that he's disciplined us and we're better for it. Our, our men's ministry uh, foundry meets on Thursdays at 6.30. I'm an announcement guy, remember? You're not going to get the announcements out of me, okay? Um, we're going through a, a book study and uh, the book is called Disciplines of a Godly Man. And I'm so excited to see what it looks like, what God does in and through our lives as we step into discipline in a way in which we never have. Suffering might also be a way in which we can learn to encourage others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Think of the many ways that you have encouraged others based upon what you have walked through. Things that maybe you thought there was no way out. It's never going to get better. We're never going to get through this. And how has God used that story in your life to encourage other people as maybe they begin to walk through those things? You heard Brenda's testimony of what it looks like to, to lose a child and how God has used them to comfort others. My, my wife, um, after our oldest son was born, had a miscarriage. And I remember being frustrated and being hurt and being torn apart and being upset with God. Right? And in my mind, it was, I thought we were going to have a family. And I remember God leading me to this understanding that we already did. We already were. Me, my wife, little tiny baby Jace, we were a family, right? And so I felt encouragement in that moment. I felt contentment in that moment. And you guys know how the stories continued as you see Reese and Cade running around the hallways, right? There's three little boys that our family's blessed with now. But th those moments of walking through a miscarriage, God has used that to encourage other people who maybe have gone down a similar journey, right? Suffering ideally is going to be something that causes us to draw closer to the Lord or even remind us that this world is not our home, something that has been echoed through all of 1 Peter, right, as he's writing to elect exiles. We may not understand, we may not like the purposes that God has for our suffering in our lives, but our suffering does have a purpose. Absolutely. James tells us uh, in, in chapter 1 that we are to count it all joy, even uh, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You might wonder why I'm spending so much time talking about suffering, right, and not getting back to just walking through 1 Peter chapter 3, but here's why. It's one of your fill-in-the-blanks. Changing our perspective on suffering changes our response to it. Changing our perspective on suffering changes our response to it. Paul reminds us to do this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Right? There is a plan, there is a purpose behind our suffering. God does not waste your pain. He never has, 
He never will. God does not waste our pain. Right? Ultimately, this, this purpose is related to our character and it's related to his glory. God cares more about your character than he cares about your comfort. Right? And sometimes we get that mixed up. We think God is there to provide me with comfort when really he's wanting us to develop a character that emulates that of his son Jesus. Right? We're Christians. We're little Christs. What if you knew that none of your suffering was ever wasted, but rather God was going to use it? How would this change your understanding? How would this change your outlook when it came to suffering? Right? We have to press into this, this change in perspective, this different perspective, this shift in perspective as we walk through this passage. Right? Peter's going to give us two things when it comes to suffering. One is the how. How are we meant to persevere through suffering? And the second one is the why. And so the, the first part, how are we meant to persevere through suffering? He, can, he continues to say that as we're harmed for righteousness' sake, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Right? So the first part, don't fear the people that are harming you. Don't be troubled. And this is so hard to put into practice. Because you're like, you know what? Do you know what they've done to me? Do you know what they've said about me? Do you know how they intimidate me? Do you know how they've radically changed the way in which I live my life today? Yeah, sure, that makes sense for you to say, but it's really hard to live out. Right? Peter's saying the first piece of how we're meant to persevere through suffering is to have no fear. Have no fear. Don't fear man. And the second part of this is going to build upon that, and I'm going I'm to walk us through it. Instead, he says the more important thing to focus on is honoring Christ the Lord as holy. This is way more important than the persecution that you're receiving from them. Right? Regardless of what's going on, our suffering or our challenges, our persecution, don't forget how big our God is. As, as monumental as these can feel or can become, our God is infinitely larger. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Right? And Colossians has similar language saying that Christ holds all things together. What we have to understand is that Christ is supreme. Don't let our struggles become greater than our God. Right? But if we're going to, to understand this idea of how are we going to overcome, it's going to be with this idea of remembering that we should fear God more. Fear God more than we fear man. And I don't know about you, but I also think of some of Jesus' words. In the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, he's getting ready to send out the 12 disciples and he tells them that they are going to be persecuted. But then in verse 28, he, he tells them and reminds them of something. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Right? God is who you should really fear, so don't back down. Stand firm. This fear of God is this, this holy reverence and it puts things in perspective but what's so crazy is it's not just a, a fear that is um, scared it's a fear that should cause us to step toward God right listen listen to what he goes on the very next verse 
right? Fear God who can destroy your body and your soul in hell. And he says this, the very next verse. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Right? This fear of the Lord is different. This fear should bring us comfort. It should lead us to comfort. Jesus is saying, God is going to take care of you. Don't shy away because men persecute you. Stand firm. Let the larger fear of the Lord trump your smaller fear of man. Right? When we put our, our, our fears and our persecution and our struggles against the Lord, they pale in comparison. And so the second part of how we're meant to persevere through suffering, honor Christ as holy. Honor Christ as holy. Right now, as Peter is writing this, he's actually quoting Isaiah. And I don't know about you guys, but I have had a greater appreciation for the book of Isaiah as we've gone through 1 Peter. Because chances are, if there's something in the Bible, chances are Isaiah probably has something to say about it, Right? And so pretty neat. I want, I want to show you what he has to say about this. As, as Peter looks back to Isaiah, he's looking and quoting Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. It says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of his people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Now, I don't want to camp out here too long, but the context of what's happening in Isaiah, Isaiah is encouraging the southern kingdom of Judah as they're facing a threat from the northern kingdom of Israel and their alliance with Syria. And so Isaiah is saying, don't fear them. Instead, fear God, right? And as we we look to these cross-references in 1 Peter 3 and Isaiah 8, um, there's a little bit of a, a shift or just one little piece that's different and I want to show you, right? I'm excited about it. One thing you, you start to realize as you read scripture is that all scripture points to Christ. Absolutely all scripture points to Jesus. And so we see in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 13, Isaiah says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread, right? The Lord of hosts. Peter says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Right? The, the difference, Isaiah is saying honor the Lord as holy, and Peter is saying honor Christ the Lord as holy. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Lord. That is what Peter is reminding us of. Right? Honor him as God. And you might be saying, well, maybe, maybe Peter is just trying to put Jesus back into Isaiah chapter 8. That's not the case. Jesus is already there. Scripture points to Christ. Listen to the verse right before, Isaiah 8, verse 10, right before what Peter is quoting. It says this, Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Right? God with us, Emmanuel. If I were to say Emmanuel, you and I would understand that to be Jesus. God with us. Peter's not trying to put Jesus back in Isaiah's words. Jesus is already there. That's the context already of what's going on. 
I want to share two passages with you, and then I'll share with you where they're found. Okay, the, the first one, keep in mind, we're, we're looking back to Isaiah 8. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? We talk about this all, all the time around Christmas. That's is Jesus. Well, look where it comes from. Look at the next slide. It comes from Isaiah chapter 7, right before where Peter is quoting. How about this one? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We know this is Jesus. Look where this comes from. Isaiah 9. Right? So with, with Peter to say, fear the Lord, fear Jesus, he's not putting Jesus into Isaiah's words. Jesus is already there. That's already the context. Right? Scripture points to Christ. And we should understand this, this idea of fearing the Lord because the Lord is with us, so much greater than even them in Isaiah's day. Right? We have 2,000 years of history to pull from. Right? If, if they were told not to be obedient, I mean, not to be fearful and to be obedient in that, how much more should we? Right? We know the life of Jesus. We know his death. We know his resurrection. We know and believe his promises. Right? We should not fear because the Lord is with us. And you might say, that's great, but why does this really matter? Because of who is with you as you go through suffering, as you go through persecution, as you go through challenges and hard times, who is with you is significant. If I said you're about to go through persecution and I'm going to send my eight-year-old son with you, don't be afraid. You're going to laugh at me like you did, right? Uh, he's eight. Now I have to take care of him too and myself as I go through persecution. But if you're reminded, don't fear because the Lord is with you, that should be a huge aspect of encouragement for us this morning. Don't fear. Jesus is holy. Don't fear. Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit. Don't fear. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, will never leave you, will never forsake you. It's significant. So in conclusion of what Peter says, how we're meant to persevere through suffering, don't fear man, fear God. Right? And now that we, we understand the how, let's get into the why. Why in the world would we even do this? Why would we persevere through suffering? Right? What's the purpose in persevering? Let's pick it up in verse 15. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. So why are we meant to persevere through suffering? Real simple. So that we might have an opportunity to share the hope of Christ. So that we might have an opportunity to share the hope of Christ. This verse gets misled a little bit, right? We, we pull this whole idea of giving a defense, and we apply, we apply it only to... Um, apologetic conversations, right? Defending the faith, debates and arguments and those sort of things. What, what are your beliefs? What are your stances? Can you back it up with scripture, right? Give a defense for the faith. I, I got to be a part of a, 
a conversation like this this past week that, that centered around creation. And it was that. It was, what does Scripture say? What do you think? Right? And it was, it was good. It was challenging. It actually got heated at a couple moments. And this was between two believers. But at the end of it, it was rewarding. And it was life-giving to all. And these are conversations that are necessary, conversations that should be had because this is wildly important, how we understand these aspects to our faith. So there is that piece of defending the faith as far as apologetics go, but there's also that piece of, of just giving a defense and sharing the hope that you have for Christ as you go through suffering or as you go for your day-to-day, right? Are you ready to share the hope? Maybe in your neighborhood, somebody asks a question, right? Why do you, why do you treat your kids so well? Why do you value them? How do you sit down and, and have those little one-to-one conversations? You get on their, their level, be ready to share why. Why I value them because they mean the world to the Lord and so they mean the world to me. Right? What about at the grocery store if you, you let somebody go in front of you? Uh, what? No one's ever done that for me. Why would you do that? Well, let me share with you. Or you, you buy someone a tank of gas. No one's ever bought me a tank of gas. Why would you buy me a tank of gas? Well, I, I just want you to be blessed today. As I've been blessed, God's provided for me, and so I just want to share with you. Right? Be ready to have that conversation. Maybe this spring, the ball fields are getting ready to open up. Baseball, flag football, soccer. Right? And maybe this is the time that you say, you know what, I'm actually going to support the coach. Is, uh, yeah, I've coached youth sports for a while. We need some help, okay? Um, but someone might say, wow, you actually, you're there for him. You support him. Why? What's different about you? Or, you know what, you don't get involved in all the gossip around the field. You encourage someone to go have the conversation with the proper person. And they might not ask you this, but they're going to be thinking, why don't you want to talk bad about someone? Because I want to talk bad about someone. There's something different. Be ready to give a defense for the hope that you have in Christ. Always be ready to have that conversation for the hope that you have. The problem is we stop at just this piece. Be ready to give a defense. And so we're, we're ready to debate anyone, at any time, on any level. And I I don't think that that's everything that's going on in this verse, right? Peter doesn't stop there. He, He goes further. He says, make sure that you're doing it with gentleness, respect, and a good conscience, right? If you have, if you don't have gentleness in your speech, it's going to hinder the defense. If you're not respecting that person, it's going to hinder the defense. If you don't have a good conscience, it's going to hinder the defense of the hope that you have the Lord. And I feel like typically most of us can, can figure out the, the gentleness and the respect piece. Because let's, let's face it, if you're a jerk or if you're abrasive, you're not going to win anyone to the Lord, right? If you do get a conversation with someone, it's probably going to go like this. It's probably going to end very quickly and you're not going to get another one, right? So we can typically manage this whole idea of, of being gentle and being respectful because we want to continue the conversation, But the one we don't talk about is a good conscience. And if we're going to share through our suffering, we need to do so with gentleness, respect, and a good conscience. All three have to be present. All three are what Peter talks about. Why why the good conscience? Why does this matter? Well, it's hard to tell of the hope that you have when you're not living it out, right? Right? It's not do as I say, but it's do as I say and watch me try to live it out. 
a clear conscience, a good conscience comes with walking the walk every single day. Not that you're going to be perfect, but that we're striving. We're striving and we're growing in our faith, right? Is the Bible true? Do you believe Jesus at his word? Are you walking with him every single day? And if, if the conversation becomes, let me tell you about Jesus, it, it's not, let me tell you about the Jesus I learned about 20 years ago in Sunday school. It's let me tell you about the Jesus that I spent time with this morning. Let me tell you about the Jesus that I learned more about in community group last week. Let me tell you about the Jesus that I was the hands and feet for last service as I served in kids ministry. Or let me tell you about the the Jesus that I'm the hands and feet for as I sign up to serve in kids ministry. Or let me tell you about the, the Jesus that I'm the hands and feet for because I should sign up to serve in kids ministry, right? Announcement guy, you got, we, we need help in kids ministry, okay? Or maybe it's about the Jesus that has walked through a difficult moment with you recently, stride for stride, in step with you. Not the Jesus of just your past. There was a commentary I wrote that, that I read that spoke of this idea and the importance of our conscience. Right? It talked about our conscience being like a, a window that was letting light in. And this light was God's truth. But as we disobey, the the window gets dirtier and dirtier, and there's less of God's truth that's able to come in. The writer said that this was a defiled conscience. Titus chapter 1 says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. This commentary went on to say that moving from there, you come to a seared conscience, one that has been so sinned against that it isn't sensitive to what's right and wrong any longer. Paul tells Timothy in in 1 Timothy, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And finally, if you continue down this path, you end up with an evil conscience, one that actually approves of the bad and persecutes the good right, of what we're talking about today. Hebrews 10 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our conscience is a really big deal, and we don't talk about it that often, but it's something that we should continue to be working at. In the book of Acts, chapter 24, uh, Paul is on trial, and, and this is what he says, part of his defense. He says, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. I strive always to have a good conscience so that in any moment I'm ready to give a defense for the hope that I have in Christ. I talked to a, a very dear friend this past week, um, a family member who's not been striving in this area. Um, obviously known this family member my whole life, right? Struggling with where this person's at. Well, I guess... I'm struggling with where she's at in her faith. I don't know if she's struggling, and that might be the most painful thing. I don't know if she cares. I don't know if she realizes she's struggling. And if she does, there's nothing being done from it. Right? She's unsure, and if anything, is banking on the Jesus of her childhood that she's potentially been drifting away from for 15 years. The Holy Spirit has been so quenched within her and she questions everything and allows anything to fill a thought and does nothing about it. 
I don't see hope. I don't see any realization that there isn't any hope. Ultimately, in this moment, she's, she's lost, and it breaks my heart. Right? Her conscience is not good, and at this moment, there's no way she could give a defense for the faith. There's no way. As I had this conversation this past week, uh, it was similar but different than the conversation about creation. There was still the need to give a defense. There was still the need to be gentle, to be respectful, to have a good conscience. Right? I listened I redirected, I refocused upon Christ. I shared of the hope that I have in Christ. When giving a defense, all three of these need to be present, right? There has to be gentleness, there has to be respect, and we have to have a good conscience. And the reason is, as we do, verse 16, Peter shares that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Right? As we do this, it's going to put people to shame either in this life or, unfortunately, the next. So why? Why are we meant to persevere through suffering so that we might have an opportunity to share the hope of Christ? That's what it is. It's about hope. It's about pointing people back to Jesus. And there are so many ways as we suffer that we can share the hope, we can share the love of Christ. This is an easy verse to read, but it's very challenging to live out. It, it, it implies that we're living in such a way that people would notice, that we would stand out. A couple of years ago, I, I did a message in student ministry talking about this idea. And what I talked about was as you are driving on the freeway, you're driving on the connector, and uh, it dead ends into downtown, right? When, when we moved here, I thought it was the weirdest thing. I thought I had zoned out for a moment and not realizing I had gotten off the freeway. I was like, why did we just end up at a stoplight? I was just going 65 miles an hour. What happened, right? It's the weirdest thing. Now I've gotten used to it. I think it's kind of cool. But when you get downtown Boise, almost immediately you come to this one building on your left that's different. What's the name of the building? Jump. You guys all know because you've had the same thought I've had. What is that? What's, what's so different about that building? Why are there tractors everywhere? What goes on in there? Is that a playground? Is that a slide? Is the slide open? Is the slide ever going to open? Is it going to open after I've lived here seven years? Am I ever going to get to go down the slide? That's just me. Sorry. I digress from the whole slide thing. I've not gone down the slide. But you look at it and you wonder. You say, what is it? There's something different about that place. I'm interested. I want to know more. That's the idea here. That's the idea with our faith. Are people interested? Right? And so I have a couple questions that are on your program that I just kind of want to walk through here as we close. Question number one, do we live our lives in such a way where people are interested? Because we should. It should look different. When was the last time that somebody asked you for the hope that you have? How are you so calm? I want to know. Because I'm not. I'm stressed out about everything in life, and you aren't. Will you tell me? How do you have everything together? Or maybe the the comment is, you don't have it all together, and yet you're still good. Tell me why. That would be the comment for our family. Right? This verse implies that we are meant to stand out to unbelievers. Second question, how many unbelievers do we have in our lives? Are there people at your job? Are people on your team, in your neighborhood, people that you have conversations with, people that you know well, 
to be honest with you, I need more non-believers in my life. Not, not so that I would be influenced by them, but because they need Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe God will give me an opportunity to share that with them. I think I shared this story in a, a membership class recently, but it's something that keeps popping up, something that keeps challenging me. There was a, a pastor that came and uh, talked to a, a church staff that I was on staff at <clears throat> last year. Um, if you're new here, we, Redeemer just got planted. Uh, we got sent from Rock Harbor. It's another church here in town. But he came and he spoke to the church staff, and he shared that at his house, on the back of their front door, there's a poster board, and it's a map of their neighborhood. It has all these little houses on the map. And within each house are the names and the spiritual conditions of his neighbors. And it challenged me so much. Right? What if we did this? If, it, if even just to learn our neighbors' names, right? You're like, well, I know Bob and I know Joey, but after that, I don't know. It's like 300 homes in your neighborhood. You know two guys? Oh, uh, yeah. What if we just did that to learn their names, right? But he, he knew and he cared about the spiritual condition of his neighbors. This would change everything about how we went through the neighborhood, right? The things that we prayed specifically for or the way in which we helped people move in or we were there when people needed to move out or we strategically went on a walk with the dog at this time so that we might be able to see so-and-so to have a spiritual conversation, right? It would completely change. And this is hard. This is hard for me because I work at a church and my kids go to a Christian school. Everybody I work with is a Christian. This is good. They work at the church, right? You're like, uh, oh no. It, everybody on staff is a Christian. That's good. But that is an excuse if that's what I just land in. Or even, like I said, my boys are at a Christian school. And so I just don't have a lot of non believers around me. That's an excuse, right? You need to have lost people in your life so that you can share the faith with them, and you can invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And chances are, even at your Christian school, not every student, not every, every family member is a Christian. Not every person related to your children's Christian school is currently living a way uh, that has a good conscience, right? We need to be challenged in this area, and I hope that that's who we are as Redeemer. We're not a church that just gets inwardly focused and say, here it is, this is our group of believers, and we don't care, right? But that we're a church that actually says, no, I, I want to get to know someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus so that I might have an opportunity to give a defense for the hope that I have in Christ. Question three, are we prepared to give a defense for the hope that we have? Right? Our faith is defensible. We have a very reasonable faith. There's great evidence for our faith in Christ, there's historical evidence, there's manuscript evidence, there's archaeological evidence, there's lives that have been transformed, there's your personal testimony, all kinds of things. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus who defeated the grave. Let me tell you about Jesus who has transformed my life. Jesus who is preparing a place for me. Right? There are so many different ways that we can do this. Be ready for some of these, these answers if someone asks. And chances are you're probably more prepared for this than you might realize. But that doesn't mean we stop learning. It doesn't mean we stop studying. It doesn't mean we stop growing in these areas. And question four, are we suffering for doing good? Verse 17, Peter said, For it is better to suffer for doing good 
if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. We need to be mindful that we're called to suffer for righteousness in this passage, right? That's God's will, is to suffer for righteousness. Too often we find ourselves suffering for evil or suffering for bad or suffering for sin, even our sin. We find ourselves suffering for our sin. Next week, John is going to pick up this passage and he's going to continue in Peter's writings and Peter's going to share with us that Christ suffered once for all. Let his sacrifice be enough in your life and may we only suffer for righteousness. Right? To to suffer for our sin was Jesus' task and he accomplished it flawlessly. We shouldn't continue to suffer for sin in our lives. Right? If we're going to suffer, we should suffer for righteousness. Be ready to have the gospel on your lips at all times. Right? The good news of the salvation, the hope of the resurrection, the love of Christ, the sufficiency of Scripture, the faith of the disciples, the testimony that God has given you. Whatever or whoever comes your way this week, be ready to share the hope that you have in Jesus. Before I pray, I want to share three verses from Romans chapter 8 that Paul shares with us that I hope would be encouraging to you. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Right? Our suffering is going to bring glory. There's a purpose behind it. Romans 8, 28 We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This is great encouragement to know that God has a purpose for what you're going through right now or what you're going to head into sooner than later. Romans 8 verse 31 shares with us that if God is for us, who can be against us? As you go through suffering, know that God has a purpose for it. There are so many opportunities to share the love, to share the hope of Christ as we suffer. And I pray that today's message has changed our perspective on this. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to open scripture and to learn from you. Thank you for a reminder that you don't waste our pain, that you have a purpose for our suffering. God, I ask that we would be obedient And as we are persecuted, as we suffer, that we should not fear man, but more so we should fear you. That we should find comfort in you. That, God, we would persevere through suffering so that you might give us an opportunity to talk about you. An opportunity to offer a defense for the faith that we have in you, for the hope that we have in you. Jesus, I ask that this week you would use us, use us to share the gospel with people at our jobs, people in our neighborhoods, maybe even people in our homes. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Before you guys head out, I want to just remind you of a couple things. Uh, If you say, you know what, I would love some prayer for something, there's a prayer team that we have that will be down front, ready and willing to pray for you, anything that, that that you might need. And then also, uh, before you head out, look around for a second, just look around. Chances are you don't know everybody, 
So I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to get to know somebody new. Uh, Maybe even you get a phone number, maybe you set up a time to go to coffee, maybe you're able to encourage somebody in the faith. But go ahead and meet a new friend before you head out today. And then we'll see you guys next week.